There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. How many of you heard something good? Would you raise your left hand? Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet now. Stay, stay with me just a minute. Have you heard something good? Raise your left hand, please. Good. How many of you told something good? Raise your right hand, please. That's very good. You know, I come to meetings. I'm in special meetings every week, every week of my life. And people have this idea the preacher's going to come and tell us something good. Can I just remind you that this is what a church is about, you see, exhorting one another. So when you come to the house of God, don't put all that on the preacher to give you something good. If the Lord has been good to you, talk about the goodness of God. I'll tell you from my own experience, there have been a lot of church services through the years that when it was done, I did not remember what the preacher preached. Let's all be honest. How many of you ever had that happen? Would you raise your hand? Now, full disclosure, sometimes, yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth, though. Sometimes I was the one who did the preaching and don't remember what the preacher preached. But I'll tell you what I remember from some of those meetings, some dear saint of God saying to me, I've had you on my heart this week, and I'm praying for you. Now keep your eyes on the Lord. Some good word that makes the heart glad. You be the Lord's messenger, and I promise you God will continue to work on both ends, in your heart and the hearts of those around you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. All of you that were here in the meeting last night on the count of three, I want you to shout out what book of the Bible we're in. Let's see if you really paid attention. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, it's very good. Good class this morning. Let's open our Bibles to the book of 2 Peter, near the end of the New Testament, and dealing with end-time believers. And, uh, you know, you'd think a book like 2 Peter that deals with heavy things like apostasy and rebellion and wicked men and all of that would be a very, um, not depressing book, but at least a, a low-tone book. Instead, it is the exact opposite in fact, when it opens, it opens on the mountain. It opens in the presence of God. It opens with all that God has for us. And I think that's very instructive because, look please, in a day and age where the world is getting worse and worse, God is not. And I think one of the great dangers is, you know, everybody's favorite verse right now is, and they always say it with a sigh. They always say it this way. Well, you know, preacher. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And they always say it on the downtone. I call them Eeyore Christians. You remember who Eeyore is? Everything's bad. Everything's down. And I always say to those people, yes, do you know the next verse? Because the very next verse says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So in a day and age when things are difficult, when the devil is fighting, when the world is unraveling at the seams, look please, that is the very moment where God's people ought to be living in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And so, with that in mind, we turn our attention to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, I'll preach to you twice more this Lord's Day from this book. But in this opening hour, let's just have a little Bible study together. And I want you to get a pen handy because I'm going to have you mark four Bible words this morning. And everything I'm going to say to you is going to revolve around these four great words from the Word of God. Let's read. Look at 2 Peter 1 verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How many saved people are here today? Would you raise your hand? All right. If you are saved, you have what the Bible calls like precious faith. It means we have something in common. Look at the people around you just a minute. You see those people around you? Are they different from you? Yes or no? Yes. Some more different than others, right? And we all have different backgrounds and different interests and all of that. But there's one thing that binds us all together. And it's really not a thing. It's a person and his name is Jesus Christ. We have Christ in common. Aren't you happy about that? That's how I can show up someplace different every week and walk into a building where I know absolutely no one. And in a matter of just a few moments, feel right at home. Do you know why I feel right at home? Because I realize I'm a member of the family of God and we have the same father, which means we're connected to one another. We have obtained like precious faith. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace be, what's the next word? Multiply. I love that word. In other words, in verse 1, you get saved. But in verse 2, you get more and more and more of the grace and peace of God. Salvation's not the end, friends. It's the beginning. We had some people last night get assurance of their salvation, get that settled. Aren't we happy about that? But I want you to know that's not the end. That's the beginning. If, if the end is people making a profession of faith in Christ and getting saved, then when they get saved, we ought to just hit them in the head with a baseball bat and send them on to glory and get it over with. But that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. It's the beginning of new life in Jesus Christ. And I love this with, with the Christian. The Bible says the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Look, sin gives you its best up front and it's all downhill from there. Jesus always saves the best for last. So it's grace and it is peace. And by the way, there's a divine order in that. We're living in a world where people want peace without grace. You don't get it that way. Look at the verse. The God of order says you've got to have the grace of God to have the peace of God. But grace and peace is not just something you get when you get saved. The Bible says it is to be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, the deeper you go into your knowledge of God, the deeper you enter into all of the blessings of God. If you say, well, I want more of God's blessing on my life, you need to know God better. You say, I want more of God's touch on my family, you need to know God better. You say, we want to see more in this church of what God has for us as a church family. Then you need to know God better because it is with the deepened knowledge of God through Jesus Christ that we come into all the grace and peace that God has for us. And I love that word multiplied. Now, I was never good at math. Maybe you're a math person. But I know there's a huge difference between multiplication, subtraction, and division. Can we agree on that? I want to tell you that Satan divides and sin subtracts but God always multiplies. So sin is taking away, and the devil is always trying to bring division, but when the Lord has his way, praise God for this, it's not less and less, it's more and more. Do you remember Jesus saved the best wine for last? 
I have not seen, ear hath not heard, it has not entered in the heart of men the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. So there's more and more that God has for us. But then we come to verse number 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us, what's the next word please? One more time. It's a powerful little word. It's one of God's favorite words in the whole Bible. Did you know that? He's given us what, church? All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. See all these divine superlatives? That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, in other words, if that were not enough, giving all diligence. What's the next word, please? Add. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and what's that word? Abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Pause and look at me for just a moment. May I tell you, that is why many times saved people do not feel like saved people. Sometimes people who genuinely know the Lord as their Savior do not think, well, I don't know if I'm really a Christian. And Peter says the reason for that is they stopped growing. And when you stop growing and adding to your faith, then suddenly, instead of living in God's life and power, suddenly death starts entering in. It doesn't mean you're a lost person, but it means you're not living the life that God saved you to live at that moment. And then the Bible says in verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you, what's that word? Abundantly. Into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now would you take your pen and I want you to mark the four words in your Bible. And interestingly enough, they all start with the same letters so it will make them easy to remember. These are like four little pegs we're going to hang every, every bit of this truth on this morning. First, in verse number three, I'd like you to circle the little word all. Somebody said all means all and that's all all means. That's exactly right. God's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Then in verse five, I want you to circle the word add. So we have everything we need in Christ but the Lord says, once we come to know Christ, there's a spiritual growth and maturity that's necessary. There's a, there's a forward motion in the Christian life. We're to be adding to our faith. Then in verse number 8, I want you to circle the word abound. It's a picture of what God wants the Christian life to look like. It's a snapshot of what Jesus wants. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10? I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more what abundantly. He said, I want you to abound. Not just enough to get by. I see so many Christians that look perfectly miserable. They look perfectly miserable. I mean, a lot of churches, and you look at people and you think, Dear Lord, where is the joy of Jesus? Where is the where's expectancy? Where's the hope? Where's the faith in God? Where is the believing the Lord for big things? What's happened to us? Our weak, anemic, run-of-the-mill kind of Christianity seems like it's a long ways from the book of Acts. Why should that be? Well, Vance Habner said most Christians live so subnormal that if they ever became normal, they would appear abnormal. And that's exactly right. 
We're living subpar Christianity. We're not living in the abundance that Jesus promised and Jesus provides. We can have it. It's not his fault. It's our own fault, but we're missing something. And then the fourth word is found in verse number 11. It is the word abundantly. It's not the same as the word abound. The abounding is now. The abundantly references us getting to glory someday. How many of you know when we get to heaven, that's going to be wonderful, yes? But God wants you to live in his wonder now. He doesn't just want you to enjoy the destination. He wants you to enjoy the journey. He wants you to live in the victory and power of God now, and you don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience that. And so for the next few moments, I want to speak to you on this subject. Would you write it down somewhere? The abundant Christian life. And I want to ask you a personal question. Frankly, it's something only you can answer. Are you an abundant Christian? I asked a while ago, are you saved? And lots of people raised their hand. I'm glad. That means you're going to heaven someday. But I want to ask you, are you living in his abundance this day? If I really wanted to know if you were an abundant Christian, I would not ask your pastor. I would ask the people that live at your house. Did you know none of us are better Christians than the Christians we are in the privacy of our own home? I'm looking around, pastor, and you know these people, they clean up good for church around here. And we put on our church clothes and we come and we carry our Bibles and sing our songs and say our amens. And we give every appearance that we're living the abundant, joyful, powerful, dynamic Christian life. And yet the reality is most people who name the name of Christ are not living in that victory at all. And I wonder, are you one of the abundant Christians? I'll tell you this, when you meet one, you know it. I don't know how to explain that to you. But when you meet somebody that's just full of Jesus and full of the Lord and full of the fruit of the Spirit, they don't have to tell you. You can't hype it and you can't hide it. There's no substitute for it, no shortcut to it. And when a person really has that, when you get around them, you may not know exactly what it is, but you know something different about that person. I'm going to tell you what it is. It is the abundance of Christ in their life. I was thinking earlier this morning about that old prodigal. Do you remember the prodigal boy sitting in the far country when he finally came to himself? Remember what he said? He said, I'm sitting down here starving, and my father's house, do you remember the phrase? They have bread enough and to spare. You know what he was saying? There's abundance there. And I'm living in poverty. There's, there's plenty there. And I'm, I'm living in want and necessity. There's, there's more than enough there. Do you know why that is? Because the God of the Bible is the God of abundance he is never just the God who gives you just enough to eke by. No, no, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. He's the God of the much more. And I wonder, are we living in that abundance? Let's take a church vote. May I take a church vote? Is that all right? It has nothing to do with money, all right? So let's take a church vote. All you people that belong to this church, I want you to vote now. How many of you like this church to know the abundant blessing of God and abound more and more? You say, I'll cast my vote for that. Would you raise your hand big and high in the air? All right? I'm going to let you in on a secret. You ready? The only way the church collectively abounds is when the believers in that church individually abound. Abundant churches are not abundant because they have beautiful buildings or a fine pastor who preaches good sermons or they have plenty of money in the budget or they support a lot of missionaries or they've added new programs. That is not abundance. That's busyness. Did you know you can be busy and not be fruitful? An abundant church is a church that's so full of the life of God and the love of God 
that when people come into the place, they say the Lord is among these people and God is working in you and with you and through you and for you. Watch please. And the only way that can happen corporately is individually we have to be living the abundant Christian life. So with that in mind, let's walk through these four, four little words because they help unpack this passage for us. First of all is the little word all in verse number 3. And next to that word, would you write this down? This is God's declaration. I love the fact God doesn't begin with what we do. He begins with what He's already done. Aren't you glad it all begins with God? And the divine sufficiency. And here's God's great declaration. Are you ready for this? You have everything you need. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit of God has come to live inside of you. And the Christ in you is stronger than the culture around you. We're making excuses. That's what we're doing. Talking about how tough it is. You know, when we all get to the judgment seat and we're whining our way at the judgment seat to tell Jesus what a hard time we had it in America in the last days, don't you know we're going to be ashamed when the martyrs step up? The reality is God is greater than all. He is greater than my weakness and He is greater than sin's strength. Christ is greater than all. And everybody look at verse number 3. He says he's given unto us. Not he will give. He hath. Past tense. We, we have it now in the present. He hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need to live the victorious Christian life you already have through the person of the indwelling Christ. In fact, look at this list. In verse 3, you have his divine power. That's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, in verse number 4, you have exceeding great and precious promises. When was the last time you laid hold on the promises of God? They asked old George Mueller near the end of his life. They said, how would you get so many answers to prayer and pray in all that money to take care of orphans and, and keep your joy? He said, that was easy. He said, I got up every morning and read my Bible till I found one of God's promises. He said, as soon as I found a promise, I got on my knees, put my finger on the verse, and looked up to heaven and said, Lord, you promised, and I'm claiming this one today. And he said there was never a single day God did not keep his word. May I ask you, why are we living so shy of all the promises of God? If all the promises of God in Christ are yea and in him amen, why are we living in the yea and the amen? Now look at verse number 4 again. We not only have the, the divine power and the great and precious promises, we're, we're partakers of the divine nature. <laughs> you got a new nature. God has put something brand new inside of you. Don't ever get over all that you received on the day of your salvation. You're never going to understand it all. You're going to spend the rest of eternity entering into more and more of it. But I want you to know you ought to begin right now to start at least comprehending all that was given to you on the day of your salvation. I've been saved over 40 years. I will tell you, I feel like I'm just now starting to scratch the surface of some of what I received on the day of my salvation. Isn't that funny? And I've even heard people talk about going to heaven. And they say, well, when you get to heaven, you'll know everything. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says we will know even as we are known. It does not say you will know everything. How boring would it be to get to heaven and know everything on the first day? May I just tell you, I think when you die and go to heaven, the adventure is just beginning. The greatest adventure of it all is we're going to spend the rest of eternity, in the words of the hymn writer, going deeper and deeper into the love of God. Do you ever think we will exhaust the infinite God of the universe? I say to you, friend, God has much more for all of us, but we were given access to all of that on the day of our salvation. 
And so we begin with God's declaration. Then come to the second word in verse number 5. It is the word add. Did you know this is the same word we get the word chorus from? For example, a song leader may bring in the instruments. He may, he may bring in parts in a choir, and everybody lends their part to the, to the song until finally that great chorus unites perfectly. I love this thought. God says, I've given you all of these things, but now if you'll grow like you ought to grow, these things will start connecting in your life, and like a mighty chorus, bring the beautiful unity that Jesus wants to bring to all of life. So write this down. If all is God's declaration, add is God's direction. God says we're going to have a little building program now. Remember I said it starts with salvation? Do you remember the day of your salvation? How many of you remember the day you got saved? Was that a good day, yes or no? Yeah. The old hymn writer said, glad day, glad day when Jesus washed my sins away. I remember the day I got saved. I don't remember everything about it. I remember seeing my mother that day after I got saved and said to her, Mama, I got saved today. And it meant something to me. Don't ever lose the wonder of what it means to be saved. But please don't miss this. Look at verse number 5. He says, we're to give diligence to add to our faith. You never add to grace. Nothing can be added to the grace of God. Nothing can be added to God's part. But may I say, the faith element, that's, that's our side, you see. And faith, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, that's just the beginning point. But now the building process really begins. We add to our faith. And it begins this beautiful list. Look at the list just a minute. You add virtue. That literally means moral excellence. Uh, there's, a, there's a story in the Bible about Jesus stopping in the crowd and saying, somebody touched me. Remember that? And a woman had touched the hem of his garment. Jesus perceived that. Anybody know the word? Virtue had gone out of him. I love this thought. Uh, no moral excellence can be taken away from Christ, but he does share it with others. Isn't that beautiful? You can't take away from the beautiful holiness of Jesus, but anybody else in the room glad that Jesus shares his holiness with us. And so it begins with this moral excellence. And then add to your, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue what? Knowledge. That literally means discernment. Heaven help us. We need some people with discernment today to discern what is truly right. In a world filled with error, God says, I'll add that to you. You can add that to your faith. Then he says, to knowledge, add temperance, literally self-control. Then to temperance, add patience. That's the same word as endurance, staying with it, not giving up, not throwing in the towel. We all get weary from time to time, but saying by the grace of God, I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of another and pressing on for the Lord. And then to patience, we want to add godliness, literally dependence on God and a demonstration of God. Matter of fact, the word godliness sounds a lot like what it means, God in us. Godliness is simply the evidence of God in us, his character being formed in our life. Would anybody say by looking at your life they see Jesus? Would anybody look at you and think of Christ? That's what happens when you're adding to your faith. Then you add to your godliness, brotherly kindness. You know what this is? It's courtesy. We live in a mean world. Harsh and hard, and it's getting worse. And you know what's terrible? Christian people get caught up in that. Church ought to be a haven from that, and the family of God ought to be so totally different from that. What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you have love one for another. When we're demonstrating the courtesy and kindness and love of Jesus to one another, that's different. It's a distinguishing fact, and it's one of the things that grows out of this spiritual growth. 
And then to Brother Lecanus, charity. That's, that's the agape love. That gets outside the family. This is God's love for everybody. So the, the love of God starts in the church house, but it doesn't stop there. It goes outside the banks and it touches the whole community and it shows the love of God to everyone. Let me show you what he's doing. Look here, please. At verse number 5, you have the foundation. That's faith. Build the foundation. Start with faith in Jesus. But then verse 5 and 6 and 7 is the formation. So the foundation is faith and the formation then, the construction of the building, is that we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Brother Stover and I had a wonderful time fellowship last night and we were having this conversation. And, uh, you know, the, the whole purpose of the work of the Holy Spirit and the whole purpose of the Word of God is for Christ to be formed in us. In other words, you ought to be growing in such a way that every day of your life you're becoming more like Jesus. In recent months, I've started praying this more and more for me. Dear Lord, please make me more like Jesus. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm talking about as a Christian, as a husband, as a father. Please make me more like Jesus. Get everything out of my life that doesn't look like Jesus. Put everything into my life that does look like Jesus. By the way, this little list we just went through, look at the list just a second. You know what all this is? Virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity. I'm going to give you a word for it. Ready? That's Jesus. That's a description of who Jesus is. That's the character and nature of Christ. And so look, please, Jesus said, I've given you all of God's power and promises and nature at the moment of your salvation. Now build on that. Do not be a stagnant Christian. Are you growing? I mean, are you really growing in your faith? You see, there's no neutral in the Christian life. People shift into neutral almost like they're going to coast into heaven. You don't coast into glory. In the Christian life, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward, but you are never standing still. So I ask again, are you stagnant? When was the last time you took a step of obedience? When was the last time you really believed God for something? When was the last time you moved forward with the Lord and you knew God was really working in you? That is the essence of the abundant Christian life. It is always taking the next step and becoming what the Lord wants you to become. I remember years ago reading the story of a little boy who'd been living on the streets and he didn't have a thing. And a, and a very fine, wealthy, well-dressed woman came out of a department store one day and she saw him, felt sorry for him. And she said, son, have you eaten today? And he said, no, ma'am, not today. And she said, you come with me. And she marched him across the street into a diner and sat him down and told the waitress whatever he wants. And he ordered and ordered and ate and ate. And when he was finished and his belly was full, she said to him, now you come with me. And she walked him back across the street into the same department store, took him to the little boy's section and bought him a new pair of shoes and, and new clothes and a warm coat and a hat and gloves for winter. And all. I mean, she outfitted him, spared no expense. He'd never been treated like that in his life. And when they walked out of the department store that day, standing on the, on the street corner of that bustling metropolitan area, uh, the little boy looked at her and he said, Madam, could I ask you a question? She said, certainly. He said, are you Jesus' mother? And she smiled and she said, no, I'm not Jesus' mother, but I am his child. And he said, I knew you were related to him somehow. And when I read the story, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful if in our interactions with people, not on Sunday, not on Sunday, on Monday, people feel spiritual on Sunday. Do you ever feel spiritual on Monday? Do you demonstrate the nature of Jesus on Monday? 
The Christian life is an everyday life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people that cross paths with us tomorrow said, I tell you, that woman reminded me of Jesus. I think that man's related to the Lord somehow. I, I, I think they, the, that family down the street, they've got a special connection with God in some way. Watch, that only happens when we are adding to our faith. And there's a third word. Come down to it again in verse number 8. It is the word abound. Write this down, would you? If all is God's declaration and add is God's direction, then abound is God's definition. God says, let me define what the Christian life looks like. He said, I want you to abound. They're in you and they abound. Not just content to have it, but always increasing, always growing. In fact, do this. Turn over. We're in the first chapter, right? Look at the way the whole letter ends. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 17. Remember I said God's people growing, fruitful in difficult days? Look at verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Somebody said, well, I don't want to fall. How do I keep from falling? Look at verse 18. But grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. I ask again, are you a growing Christian? Because the idea here is that we're abounding in the grace of God. We're abounding in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're going further with the Lord. Go back to chapter 1 just a minute and look at verse number 8. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word barren literally means idle. He said you won't be idle and you won't be unfruitful. I love this. You'll be busy and fruitful at the same time. A lot of busy people, I said this earlier, that are not fruitful people. But you'll be busy around about the right things and fruitful in the right things because you're abounding in the grace of God. You're abounding in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm really on a mission this morning in this hour. You know what the mission is? Just to make you thirsty. That's it. Just to make you thirsty. I can't make you an abundant Christian. You can't make yourself an abundant Christian. And I'm going to tell you what we all can do. We can come to the Word of God in a passage like this and say, Lord, I want that. God, help me. I need that. You remember the early days of your, your Christian experience? We were hungry and thirsty after God. Where has that gone? Jesus said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they should be filled. Moses said, Lord, if you're not going, uh, I, I'm not going either. You've got to go with me. We've got to have your presence. The psalmist said, as the heart, as the deer pants after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Arguably the greatest Christian that ever lived, the Apostle Paul. He'd been saved 30 years. 30 years he'd been saved when he wrote Philippians 3, verse 10. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You know what it reveals? It reveals there's no place to stop in Christian growth. So I don't care how long you've been in this church, how many revival meetings you've attended, how much Bible you know, or what everybody else thinks about you. The reality is every one of us have another step of Christian growth God wants us to take. How many of you are still breathing? If your neighbor didn't raise her hand, check on them, would you please? May I say, if you're still breathing, God's not finished with you. Don't you die before you die. I meet people sometimes, and they say, well, you know, preacher, I got 50 years of experience with the Lord. Wonderful. Tell me about that. Then you discover something. They actually don't have 50 years of experience with the Lord. 
they got 20 years of experience with the Lord. Because for the first 20 years of their Christian walk, they really pursued the Lord and grew in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And about 30 years ago, they stopped growing. You know where we're all stuck? We're all stuck at the last place we refused to seek after the Lord and believe the Lord and obey the Lord. I ask you again, are you an abundant Christian? And then this one more word, don't miss the last word, in verse number 11, because this is what we want. This is the goal for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you, there's the word, abundantly. Would you write down, if all is God's declaration, and add is God's direction, and abound is God's definition, then abundantly is God's destination. This is what God desires. It's not material abundance. It's not some prosperity gospel, some health and wealth slot machine religion I'm talking about. I'm not talking about financial things here. I'm talking about what money can't buy and death can't take away. I'm talking about the real riches, what awaits you on the other side. Watch this. Everybody in our world wants the product. Nobody wants the process. <laughs> Everybody wants the abundant entrance into glory. They don't want to live the abundant Christian life now. I'm going to tell you how to have an abundant entrance then. Live abundantly today. Live in all the divine resources today. Walk with Jesus today. Learn what it means to be filled with the Holy Ghost today. Walk in the power of God Almighty today. And my friend, if you'll do that every day, I promise you, there'll be an abundant entrance on the other side. In fact, did you know, you see this little word in verse number 11, entrance? That was the word that was used for kings when they came back from battle. It's really interesting. Those ancient cities, those ancient civilizations, they never put the gates all the way up. It was really a defense mechanism. Those huge gates took a while to get them up. They usually would keep them just high enough so that an average man or a horse or a cart could get through. But when the king came in, oh, brother, when the emperor came back from winning on the battlefield and from conquering, guess what they did? They ran those gates all the way up and sounded the trumpets. You know what it was? It was an abundant entrance. I would suggest to you it's a picture of what Jesus had when he entered into glory after the ascension of Jesus Christ. Do you remember the, the prophetic psalm? Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O your gates. Even be lift up the everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. I tell you, Jesus had an abundant entrance into glory. Don't you know that's true? I love this. Jesus said, I want you to have an abundant entrance into glory. I don't want you just to get there, just to say, well, I, I got to heaven. Praise God, I got here. No, no, I want you to get there and have crowns awaiting and rewards and the approval of the Lord and a well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know what is awful? It's awful to think we could live our whole Christian life and though we're going to heaven someday and we're going to be with the Lord forever, we could kneel at the judgment seat of Christ and be terribly ashamed because we missed so much that God had for us. Imagine standing in the judgment hall of heaven and Jesus saying, look over here. You see all these? These are all blessings I had for you and you wouldn't trust me. Look over here. These were all answers to prayer. I had them ready to send. They were, they were packaged and ready to go and you never asked. And look over yonder. Those were all people I wanted to see saved and I was going to use you to reach. But you never witnessed to them. You know, I think the most awful thing about sin is it's not what you get, it's what you miss. And I wonder sometimes what we're missing because we are not living the normal Christian life, the abundant Christian life. And I ask again, are you an abundant Christian? Amy Carmichael was something. 
How many of you know the name Amy Carmichael? Single lady missionary to India. God got a hold of her in a, in a Deal Moody campaign, if I remember the story correctly, and just awakened her. And I mean, God really did something. You ought, you ought to find online Amy Carmichael's dream and read it. it. It's a vivid portrayal of souls and the passion she had to reach them. It's just it's powerful. She spent her life on the mission field uh, getting little girls who had been sold into prostitution in Hindu temples, who were being sold as sex slaves. She, she got them and she taught them that there was a real God in heaven who loved them and who didn't want to abuse them and use them, who wanted to give them eternal and abundant life. And God used her in a mighty way. And here's what Amy Carmichael said. She said, we shall have all eternity to celebrate the victories. But we have only the few hours before sunset to win them. Eternity is a long time, friends. And we have all eternity to enjoy the spoils and the victories and to rest in the Lord. But friends, we have a little closing window called life. It's closing every day. And this is our moment. And someday it will be over. And the only way we can know when we get there that there will be an abundant entrance is that we are living this day and every day the abundant Christian life. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I hope in the next few days you'll go back to this passage and pray your way through it. You might even pray through it on your knees. Talk to God about it. Let it search your heart. Use it like a spiritual checklist. I'm not giving an invitation this morning, but I would like to give an application, and I'd like for us to pray together. I can't judge you. I have to judge me. That's a big enough job. Nobody else in this room can judge you. It's really between you and the Lord, not you and anybody. But would you be honest, humble before the Lord this morning? How many of God's children in here uh, some younger and some who've been saved a while. How many of God's children in here would say, Preacher, I know I'm saved and I love the Lord and I, I'm trying to live the Christian life, but I recognize as I look at this passage this morning, see myself in the mirror of God's Word, that I'm not living in all the abundance God has for me and saved me for, and I want that, and I want the Lord to, to bring me into that. Pray for me, Preacher. Would you lift your hand with mine right now? You say, That's me. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.